we open our Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 5, where it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You know, this is one of those passages that when we read through it, we'd almost anticipate it being a little bit different than it is. When we think of the horrors of slavery and uh, our desire to see it end throughout the world, as we come across a passage like this, we almost expect the Bible to do something a little bit differently than what it did. We kind of expect the Bible to, uh, you know, set the captives free. And that definitely is what takes place as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we, we come out of bondage and out of captivity. Why then would these people have been kept in captivity even though they would experience a freedom in Christ, a freedom from their sins, a freedom from death, and, but remain in bondage in their place in society? Why didn't the Bible put an end to that? Why didn't God put an end to that? And I think that there are several reasons. I think that one of the reasons that He didn't put an end to it is this is not His kingdom. right? Jesus made that clear. He offered the kingdom to Israel. Israel rejected that kingdom. We talked about before, what is the speculation that if they would have accepted that kingdom, Rome probably would have put him to death. He would have risen back from the dead just like he did. And he probably would have set up his kingdom right at that moment, but we're not certain. But I can guarantee you one thing, that if he set up his kingdom at that moment, then slavery would have been done with. Slavery was a huge part of the Roman Empire. There were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. It was a big part of their economy and that work. The church is God's kingdom. The Roman Empire is not if you want to get a better picture of what God would allow within His kingdom, you've got to go back to like Old Testament Israel and say, what were the laws that God gave regarding slavery in Old Testament Israel? Well, there was slavery within Old Testament Israel, but, but it was regulated in this fashion. First of all, it's not comparable so much to U.S. slavery that we had in our history or European slavery that they had. The Bible strictly forbid any kidnapping of anybody into slavery in the Old Testament. Now, as I said, slavery did exist and it existed in a couple different ways. One was really more of what you'd call an indentured servitude than it was a slavery. The Jewish people were not allowed to own one another as slaves except for short time periods. And so what happened was is if somebody fell on a hardships or hard times or and ended up maybe borrowing from their neighbor or whatever to be able to try to get through those hard times and wasn't able to pull out of it, what they could do is they could sell themselves into servitude to their neighbor until they worked their way out of it. There was either a short-term arrangement for how long they would be a slave, or even if it was a longer term at the year of Jubilee, all slaves would be set free and everybody would be able to go back to their, to their homes and their property. If you can talk about slavery in a positive sense, which is very hard to do, it was that. It was an opportunity. If somebody got in such a hole that they could not get themselves out of it, it was a way out of the hole. They also had it set up so that what if the person didn't want to go back home? What if they found that they really weren't really cut out to manage a farm, to manage the finances in a way that they were comfortable with or they didn't enjoy that? Then they actually could, at the end of their time when they're supposed to be set free and go back to their farm, they actually had a setup where they could make a covenant to make this permanent. And apparently some people did that. Kind of like in our culture, not everybody wants to own a business and run their own business. 
Some people do. Some people would rather just work for somebody else and let them handle the headaches of the business decisions and the financial risks and those kinds of things. Well, it was set up like that. But it also was set up for things like uh, law-breaking. If somebody stole something, and to be honest, I think that this uh, sounds a little better to me than what we have. Because what happens if people steal stuff in our society? One, sometimes nothing. And on the other hand, sometimes put them in jail. And they go to jail. What happens to the person that got stolen from? They don't necessarily get their stuff returned. It's just a loss. You're just out. And what happens to the person that stole? You get thrown into jail. And, well, do you come out reformed or you just come out uh, after rubbing shoulders with other people that did similar things like you? Do you just come out better at what you did than when you went in? I think sometimes they come out better. Sometimes they come out worse. With neither of those options, did they get to do anything that really restored their character? But if you think about it, in the Old Testament, what they would do is they say, well, you stole from them. You know what? You're their servant until this is paid back. And what happens is you get the value of whatever you lost out of their work for you on your on your farm or in your business or whatever the case may be. And then not only that, but that person has been able to work something off. They've done something positive. They've paid their debt and they can hold their head up when they come out of there. And so it has a better chance of reestablishing their character. Now, also within Israel, they weren't an island to themselves as their own nation. They would be dealing with other nations, and it was allowed for them to purchase slaves from other countries. There were laws against abuse, and if you abuse somebody to where they were hurt uh, in any kind of a permanent fashion, you had to set them free. They gained their freedom from whatever it cost. So there were laws against abuse and things like that. But you know what? None of these are ideal, are they? Well, you know what? I don't know if what we've got is totally ideal either. When I think of what happens when somebody gets down into a hole where they can file bankruptcy, well, what happens to all the people that they owed money to? They just lose. They just lose out. That doesn't seem ideal. That doesn't seem overly fair either. Now, at the same time, I don't want to see the people that are in debt be put into slavery either. Don't get me wrong. But the point is, look, we're living in a very broken world. And God doesn't always undo our broken institutions, but what He does do is give us instructions on how to live within these broken institutions. Now, one of the things that I love is I look back at history and I see what God did. God didn't undo slavery, but he did put forth the principles that would be the undoing of it. When we look back at history, what would have happened if God would have had the Apostle Paul write to these churches and just say, look, you slave owners, set your slaves free. Slaves, you get to go free. Slavery's over. That would not have made it over in the Roman Empire. It would have made it over within Christianity. So then what do the slaves do? They go free. Well, they'd probably just be picked up as slaves and by somebody else within the Roman Empire. Would they just be able to hire on somewhere? I don't know. Those things are those things are tough. You know, it's kind of like when I look back at our own slavery. Slavery took a long time to get over. There's a point in time where you said, look, it's done. It's illegal. But it still took a long time to adjust. And you want to know why it took a long time to adjust? Because if you just end it right on a dime, right there, it doesn't help anybody. Because then all of a sudden there isn't anybody to harvest the crops or do the work. Because it's such an entrenched part of the economy, it's not like they can afford to run out and hire people to harvest the crop because they were dependent upon their servants to harvest the crop before. And what does it do to the servant? All of a sudden they're just out of a job and they're out of a place to live and they're out of, out of stuff to eat. You see what I mean? It's a road that's necessary, but it's a road that you have to figure out how to do this. Who are these people going to work for? Where are they going to get their income for, for, to support themselves and their family? Where are they going to live? What are they going to eat? You see, if you just try to stop it right now, then every, a lot of people starve. And a lot of hardships happen. It's kind of like I remember when uh, I visited the Ukraine. 
in Ukraine was underneath the USSR for years. And the USSR kind of went through and killed all the farmers, took over all the farm country, and the Ukraine was a breadbasket of the, US, uh, the USSR. And you know what happened was eventually the USSR broke up and Ukraine got all their property back. And you know what? They didn't know what to do with it. And so they're sitting on the most, some of the most fertile land in the world, and they're starving because they didn't know what to do with it. They ended up taking the land and dividing it up and giving it to the peasants that lived in the villages. Well, they didn't have any farm equipment, and they couldn't afford any farm equipment. So for a long time, the USSR was the most fertile place in the world and starving to death because of a sudden change instead of a transition. And you know, that's the kind of thing that you're dealing with. If the Apostle Paul would have just put an end to slavery within the church, well, what would have happened to those slaves? What would have happened to those uh, business people? But you know what he did? Is he put together a process where it would just go away. And we look back at history, and it took a long time, but it did. And you know what happened? The impact of Christianity on the Roman Empire ended up being a large contributing factor to the fall of the Roman Empire and the demise of its slavery. In U.S. history and in European history, if you look over at Great Britain, it's through the preaching of John Wesley, George Whitfield, that brought uh, around the turning tide where we would get rid of slavery. And it's through godly statesmen, William Wilberforce over in Britain and William Pitt here in the United States, that really pushed to get rid of slavery. And you know what? All of that started right back here in the teaching of the apostles. Because what the apostles did as they taught about how to handle slavery within Christianity was how they responded to one another. And they came across very clearly and said, look, masters and slaves, what I want you to look at each other as is brothers in Christ. You're going to worship together and you're on equal footing. Neither of you is more important to God. God is impartial. And you're both brothers in Christ. Well, you know what happens is you start to see somebody as a brother in Christ And this was transformative in their culture. In their culture, you look back at that time, you can find writings that treated slaves as just as property. You can also find slaves that were treated well. But some treated them as property. Some of them uh, referred to them as farming implements. In fact, they said there were three kinds of tools on the farm. There were the articulate kind. That was people. That was slaves. There were the inarticulate kind. That was animals. And then there were the mute kind. That was tools. Wagons threshing forks, stuff like that. And so they were looked at very harshly in that way. But you know what? In other cases, they were almost, I want to say almost, part of the family. You know, slavery wasn't just uh, working out in fields and cleaning houses and stuff like that. It was that. But it also was some of them were accountants. Some of them were managing the books for the family business. In the Roman Empire, most of the business that exists by far was family-run businesses. And so the slaves worked within those businesses. Sometimes they kept the books. Sometimes they taught the children. They were the tutors for the children. And so they weren't all uneducated and they weren't all mistreated. But there was a lot of mistreatment going on within there. And even the concept of just being a slave seems to be a mistreatment of an individual. But you know what happened was slaves and owners within Christianity began to see one another as brothers in Christ. And that would lead to the undoing of slavery as we know it. We see a real good example of this within the New Testament. It's in a very small book called Philemon. In verses 10 through 17, uh, we find that the Apostle Paul has led to Christ an escaped slave. And now he's going to write to the owner of this slave, whom he also knows. Small world, right? He says, I appeal to you from, for my child Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave 
whose father I became in my imprisonment. So referring to him leading Onesimus to Christ. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he has parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. But he says, I'm sending him back to you so that you have the opportunity to recognize that this person is not just your slave, he's your brother. And the terms of endearment that the apostle used for, for this person. And the terms of endearment of an endearing relationship that he sends them back into and expects them to honor. And you know, that's exactly what happened is down through time as we began to see people as a brother in Christ. Well, you can't keep a brother in Christ in bondage. I recognize that if you're in a culture that slavery is just what you've always known and you don't really think anything of it. But you know what? If you see that person as a brother in Christ, you're going to want the best for them and you want to see them to treat it well. Well, that's what we see as we look at this passage. The Apostle Paul, he can't get rid of slavery, but we're still living in a broken world. But as he writes to these people, he says, you know what? You're going to be drastically different than the other people in your culture. And the difference is going to be in your relationship that you have one for another while we wait the coming kingdom of Christ. Well, the title that I put for this message this morning is spiritual work because that's really what it is. It's spiritual work. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. Work was given to Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. It just got harder after the fall. Work is a good thing and it's honoring to God. In fact, the Bible tells us even in Thessalonica where you had people that were quitting their jobs to wait for Christ for him to return for them. The Apostle Paul said, look, that's not the spiritual move. If you don't work, you don't eat. You need to work. And at other places in the New Testament, it tells us that we need to work to pay for our own. And in fact, even earlier in Ephesians, remember when he was telling us to put off the old man and put on the new man? Part of the new man was you don't steal, you don't take advantage of others, you work so that you can have, so that you can be generous towards others, so you can give toward other people. Work is a good thing. You know, often we kind of make these areas in our life where these are my these are my spiritual areas of life and these are just my uh, practical areas of life the bible makes no distinction in the bible we all have a life and every part of that life is a spiritual part of our life we are spiritual beings while we're at work we're spiritual beings while we're at home we're spiritual beings when we're being entertained or in recreation all the areas of our life are to be spiritual areas and that's what the apostle paul is doing here is he's taking a very practical area in their life and he's dealing bringing a spiritual component into it and saying look this is how you live and basically what he does he just applies the gospel to that area of their life Well, the closest comparison that we would have in our society is that of an employer and employee relationship. And we do still have a struggle. You know, you can't hardly read through the news right now without seeing that the workers in Amazon have a beef with the CEOs of Amazon and how they're being treated or compensated or whatever the case may be. We have unions because of that very thing. And my dad used to work for a power company. He was non-union, but he managed union people. And he always said, you know what, I don't have any problem with the unions getting good wages for their people. He said, but you know what, on the other hand, 
They ought to provide us a good employee. There can be inequities both ways. Sometimes, yes, people can be taken advantage of and not paid what they're deserving. And other times, some of those people are not working like they should, not putting forth the effort that they should be into their job to make a profit for that company. You know, when I look at it, we really shouldn't be at odds with one another. I always hate when the news that's out there trying to make corporations always look like the bad guys and stuff. I always think, if it wasn't for the corporations, there's a lot of jobs we wouldn't have. And you know what? I'm not a millionaire, but uh, you know what? I don't begrudge them. Because I know that the reason that a lot of jobs are out there, a lot of investments, a lot of our economy flows is because we do have those people. And I don't. we need to get away from the us versus them mentality. And you know what? Nobody should be better at that than the Christians. And that's exactly what he does. He takes Christians and he says, look, in your working relationships with other people, no matter which side of it you're on, whether you're an employer or whether you're an employee, you need to focus on your responsibility towards those other people. Now, connect back to the context in Ephesians. Remember what this is about. Back in chapter 5, verse 15, he said we're going to walk in wisdom. This is still within that context. This is, this is how we walk in wisdom as we enter the workplace. But then as we walk in wisdom, when he got to verse 18, if we walk in wisdom, we're going to be filled with the Spirit. And then one of the outcomes, the results of being filled with the Spirit, is submitting one to another out of fear of Christ. We talked about how we submit to one another within the marriage relationship. We talked about how we submit to one another within the parent-child relationship. And now he's going to talk about how do we submit to one another within the working relationship. And it's interesting. More than one commentator pointed out how closely this is connected to the family. Because again, most of the families, most of the businesses within the Roman Empire were family-owned, family-run businesses. A lot of the servant-master relationships were within those small family-run businesses. Within our nation, most of our business happens in small business, family-owned businesses. And this is about how we maintain those relationships, how we act in a way that is spirit-filled, walking in wisdom as we maintain those relationships within those businesses. So everybody ends up on one end of the, or the other of this spectrum, and some people both. You're either going to be an employer or employee, or at different times in your life, both of those things. So all these apply to us. So the first thing we see is the employee's responsibility, and the first thing that we see there is a right action. Obey your earthly masters. In other words, it's just simply this. Do, do what you're told. You know, that's, I never really had a real big struggle with that when I was, when I was working for, for other people. It's been a, kind of a long time since I've worked for anybody. Now I've had my own construction company for, for many, many years. But you know what? When I worked for somebody else, I didn't have a problem with that. I always figured they're the ones that are putting up the financial risk. They're the ones that have built this company up. And I've come along. I'm kind of Johnny come lately. I'm here. I'm here now. But it's their business. It's their company. So whatever the boss said, that well, that's what I did. And that's what, you know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Anything has to have leadership. A school, in order to get anybody educated, is going to have to have leadership. They've got to have leadership in the classroom. The teacher's got to be the leader of the classroom. They've got to have leadership within the administration. That's why we have things like superintendents and principals. There's got to be leadership in any business. There's got to be leadership in any family. It's just a necessary part of life. That's how we organize to be able to get things done. You just need to obey. You know, I remember years ago when I was an employee, I remember hearing a Christian speaker talk about this one time, and he gave this advice. He says, you know what you need to do as a Christian employee is you need to make it your goal to make your boss successful. Make your boss look good. He says that's where you'll find true success. 
My success is too small of a goal for my life. Wherever I'm working, I need to make them successful. And you know what I found? You become very important to them. You make yourself kind of indispensable to them. They like you because you make them look good. And you know what I found is that in most of the places that I worked, I found myself moving up very quickly under that principle. I remember I worked at one place and I worked my way up to where I was a foreman of the night crew. Now that's not the foreman of the day crew, but it's the foreman of the night crew. And I hadn't been there but a few months. In one of the evenings, we were standing around talking. And I was surprised because the conversation went around. Somebody mentioned how old they were or something. And I was like, you're that, you're that old? And they said, yeah. And then they said, why? How old are you? And I thought, uh-oh. And everybody kind of looked at me. The whole crew was standing there. And I said, uh, well, 19. I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. I could tell they did not like the idea of taking orders from a 19-year-old. But, you know, some of them were living some kind of rough lives and stuff like that, and they just didn't have the discipline at work or whatever. But I'd, I got moved up quickly. I had another place that I worked at one time. That One time the boss came and he gave me a raise, and he said, look, I'm giving you this raise, but here's the deal. You can't tell anybody about it. And I was like, well, I wouldn't anyway. It's none of their business, but why? And he said, because with this raise, you're now making a little bit more money than the guy that's been here six years. And I'd been there less than a year. You know what the interesting thing was, though? I worked with that guy all the time. And we had talked about this kind of thing because we'd be on the ends of a conveyor belt doing the same thing. And I'm trying to go fast, and he's just kind of going along. And he wanted me to slow down because it was affecting him, and he didn't want to speed it up. And then one time he told me this. He said, you know what? He said, they don't pay me enough to work that hard. And I looked back at him, and I said, you know what? They never will with that attitude. And unless you can get the work done faster so that it makes them more money, what are they going to pay you with? When we're working for somebody, we're not the one in charge. We need to obey. We need to do what we're told. We need to work try to make them look good. And you know what? Of all the people in the Roman Empire, the hardest working servants should have been the Christians. Well, that brings us to the next thing that he deals with with them. is not only the right action, but he deals with them with the right attitude. Because he says to do this with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would with Christ. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Not only that, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verses 1 and 2, it says, Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have been believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. It can be the same for us if we're employed by somebody that's a Christian. Maybe we think that, you know, hey, when I go to church with them, they're going to they're gonna take it easy on me. They're going to be all right with me. Don't look at it that way. Look at it like, you know what, now it's a Christian that I'm benefiting, so I'm going, to, I'm going to really try to make him look good now. I'm going to really try to be a benefit to them. He deals with their attitude in dealing with that relationship as well. That can be a struggle, but we've got to have kind of the right perspective. His perspective is more focused on our responsibilities and our actions, our responses, than it is our circumstances. God is more concerned about how we respond to the circumstance that we're in than He is us getting out of whatever that same circumstance is. And so we need to recognize that our life is bigger than this issue. Our life is bigger than whatever our current circumstances are. Whatever we're in is an opportunity for us to glorify Christ in that way. In fact, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, Were you a bondservant when called? 
Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is the freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when is called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. He says, look, let's put this in perspective. He said, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're a servant. I don't care if you're a master or a slave. You're a servant. And so whether you're a master or a slave, it's not that big a deal. The whole point of our life is to glorify Christ in our life. And so whatever situation we find ourselves in, glorify Christ in that situation. And you know, so that's what if we're working for somebody that we don't feel is treating us fair, live out the gospel. Christ had a moment when he was not treated fair, right? Only like most of his life on this earth. And how did he handle it? He put the needs of us, he put the needs of others above his own needs, and he brought honor and glory to God in doing it. In in First Peter chapter 2, this is a very important verse to me, because to be honest with you, this is the verse that got me to work for a, quite a while in my younger years. And that's because I was working with somebody that was very harsh. I had previously worked with somebody that was very encouraging. I was new in the construction trade. I was framing houses back out in Washington. And the first guy that I worked for was patting me on the back every time he turned around. The next guy that I worked with was a better carpenter than the first guy, but he was exactly the opposite. He was yelling. He was ridiculing you. It was hard. And there was lots of days. I can remember I'd get to work early, sitting there. I got about 15 minutes before I got to get out of the truck. And I'm sitting there thinking about what my day is going to be like at work. And I'm like, I don't want to get out of the truck. I just want to go home. And I thought, you know, Seattle at the time was the fastest growing place in the nation. I could have went down the road and found another job doing the same thing for somebody else. I could have went back to the office. They had 22 crews. I could have went back to the office and said, this isn't working. You need to put me with somebody else. But on the dash of my truck sat a Bible. And in that Bible was 1 Peter chapter 2 that I'd looked up for just this reason. And verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And I thought, this is what I'm called to do. That's what got me out of the truck many mornings. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps." In that last little part of the verse, that's, that's where that book came from. What would Jesus do in that whole concept? Well, this is the context of that book. What did Jesus do when he was treated unjustly and unfairly? He submitted to it and he brought honor and glory to God and he served the people that treated him unjustly. And he says, to this you were called. Not exactly what we go to when we think of what is God calling me to? But he says, to this you were called, just like Jesus was treated unjustly. In this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, you're going to be treated unjustly. How will you handle it? How will you respond? Will you fall into bitterness and complaining, murmuring, backbiting? Will you go lazy, drag your feet? Or will you rise above all that and do your best? That's what Christ did. That's what Christians do. That's what we need to do. Right before this, in verse 16 of that same chapter, he says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. 
living as people who are free. And then the very, the very next group of people that he deals with are the servants, the people who are not free. And he says, yes, you are. You might be in bondage, but you are God's. You are Christ's free man. And you know how they were to show that? There's nothing compelling them or making them do their best. There's nothing making them go the extra mile for an employer that they feel is unjust or for them a master that they felt was unjust. Peter says here in this passage, you can be free and you can have your own freedom and your own choice. Rise up and do your best. Rise up and take this person that is making you feel bad, making you look bad. Rise up and make them look good. And you know what? That's what will bring an end to slavery. But then lastly, part of that perspective is seeking a right reward. Because he says, look, don't do it for, don't be a man pleaser. Don't just work hard when the boss is looking. Don't just work hard when you're going to get credit for it. Work hard all the time as you work for people. Don't work just for them. Work for Christ. Seek a reward from Him. Seek, a, seek being pleasing to Him, not just to them. It's like a professor I had in college used to say, if you please God, you're always pleasing all the right people. 